welcome back and thanks for tuning in to Oil & Gas Onshore, where I am on a relentless pursuit to bring value, unity, and information to the energy industry one conversation at a time. So sit back, relax, and remember that even this very device you're listening on requires some form of hydrocarbon. This episode is brought to you by our new sponsor for the Oil & Gas Onshore podcast. A big shout out to Technip FMC, a company who truly represents the future of the oil and gas industry. Hey everyone, look, not only do you get awesome weekly content by listening, now you've got a chance to win some serious swag brought to you by Technip FMC. Each week, one lucky listener will win a bundle of gear, which includes everything I'm about to list. Seriously, everything. An audio duffel bag, a Yeti tumbler, an executive power bank power charger, a Columbia neck gator, and a set of Ace Pods 2.0, which are the true wireless Bluetooth earbuds. All you got to do is click the link in the show notes and enter your information to win. Simple. Now go get your swag on. So welcome to this week's episode. I'm here with Ray Bedier, president at Razor Training Systems, Inc. Ray, welcome to the show, my man. How are you doing this beautiful day? I'm doing great, Justin. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate joining you and the team. Yeah, no doubt. It's been a while. And, and you know, so we met years ago. I don't know how many, about at least three or four, when you came to Houston to conduct a sales and leadership seminar for, for our company. And without blowing smoke, Ray, that was probably the best training I've had. And a lot of the things that were taught during that, that course, I still use today. I reference a lot of it. So, you know, again, it just made sense to have you on and, and help share some wisdom and some information on sales and leadership. So again, I, I appreciate the relationship. And again, thanks for coming down to Houston back when we could see each other in person, man. That was definitely a pivotal moment in my career. So one that I'll never forget. Justin, I appreciate that. You know what? And, and we put words to it, you know, sales and leadership and, and things like that. But what I often hear is it's more life skills that we teach because we're in the people business. We got to motivate. We got to influence. We got to get people to buy into what we're telling them. We got to kind of showcase it. And it doesn't matter if you're in the oil business. It doesn't matter if, if you're in the widget business. It doesn't matter what business you're in. I often giggle that I think the best salespeople in the world are our kids because they don't know they don't know rejection. They don't know disappointment. All they know is they want something and they just keep going after it. And, <laughs> and so because of that, you know, if you think more of it in terms of life skills and in the people business, it's really just kind of taken some of the intuition people have and formulating it, putting it into a process and moving it forward. And I think sometimes people get the, the product mixed up with the process. Yeah. The process. Again, you're already sharing a bunch of wisdom that, and I think oftentimes people do forget about that. And I read a book years ago, you know, a sales book and, and it said, you know, the title was people buy you. They don't necessarily buy, you know, the product. And so while there's probably over a million books on sales, it was one that stuck. And, and like you said, you know, it's just one of the, as long as you're yourself, you're genuine, building that trust, strengthening your relationship and just being resourceful to, to your clients and, and just be people in general, whether it's friends, family, you know, always just you know, giving more than you take and, and being yourself, I think is so important. And, and and again, a lot of that is what we're going to talk about today. But before we get going, I just want to highlight some fascinating technology provided by our sponsor for the Oil & Gas Onshore podcast, which is Technip FMC. Technip's energy's business sees a very promising area for energy transition in the carbon-free energy solutions that replace conventional processes that produce CO2. In this field, Technip FMC is expanding their portfolio of technologies and processes to carbon-free change such as green hydrogen produced from renewable energy. To learn more, click the link in the show notes. So I have to ask, Ray, I mean, 
when we did this, we did this in person. Uh, it was very interactive. You were handing out dollar bills for good answers. I mean, it was, it was such a neat experience. I have to ask, doing this virtual, how have you adapted to that? I mean, that's got to be tough. Well, yeah, Justin, you know, for sure. It, it's a different vehicle for delivery, but this wasn't something that COVID forced me into. I had been kind of developing this in my mind, had been rolling it through, and some of my mandates in, in putting the online training components together that we do now was really that I didn't want to minimize any of the interactivity that we had. I wanted to make sure that the, there was still group participation. I wanted to make sure that the skills we talked about were applicable, that guys could practice them in a controlled environment. And that way, when we left the program, they could still hit the ground kind of kind of running. So yeah, COVID kind of maybe expedited what we were doing, but I'd been on this path for quite a few years. So you made me smile there. The only thing I haven't figured out is, you know, rewarding for participation with the dollar bills. Thought about different ideas and strategies. And, you know, even if we interbank, interbranch some things, but I think sometimes just the cost of that's more than what the dollar bills are. <laughs> you know, some of the things that I've never wanted to be was a teacher-led program where I teach and everyone sits back. And so I'm pretty adamant video components have to be on. I'm pretty active in minimizing the class sizes. You know, in person, I can get up to, you know, quite large groups. Online, in order to maintain that integrity, I try to minimize it to 10 people. That way I can kind of keep an eye on what everybody's doing. Nobody gets a chance to sit idle. So I'll work in the program and we'll talk about what you said, the products we sell, number one being yourself. Mm -hmm. And, you know, call people out right online and going, Justin, you know, why should I work with you? And, and, and that sort of thing, just to get guys active and interactive. And so I try to maintain that exact integrity. And it's just been hugely successful the way it's kind of been carried out. Yeah, no. And I think that's just, that's a testament to you and yourself and then how you, you know, go about doing things. And, and instead of allowing, you know, COVID and, and these basically quarantines and all that, you know, define how you do things, you adapt and you, you, you pivot and you, you know, call some audibles and you just make it happen. And so I applaud you for doing that. You know, speaking of virtual, you know, I'm back in school now. And, you know, for my course, the first four days of each quarter is, is online, you know, like eight hour Zoom days. And I tell you, I feel for all the teachers and people who's, who's really, and, and, you know, again, like yourself, whose income fully depends on, you know, classes and, and training and stuff like that. Because even the instructors and, and, you know, the professors are, you can tell they just get bogged down and then it's death by PowerPoint and everyone in the class, you can see everyone, some by the end of the day, they turn their videos off and, you know, they're sitting there, you know, scrolling, whatever. So I, it's just, I, I can imagine how challenging that must be to keep everyone engaged, but it sounds like you're doing well. And with the dollar bill thing, I'm sure you'll figure something out. I, I think if everyone had iPhones, you could do Apple Pay or something like that. But it, it would be neat to have a virtual and for, I guess, the listeners out there. And actually, Ray, talk about the dollar bill thing. Because again, it stuck out in my mind and I'll let you explain what it was. I think it's just a neat idea. What was it again that, that you were handing out dollar bills? It was for answers or something, right? It's just to pay for participation. And, you know, yeah. uh, as we get involved in programs and we ask questions and, and you have people that you know, sometimes sit back and you have people that are more engaged. And, and the real goal of it is to get everybody active and get everyone involved and get everyone engaged. And I think if you're in any type of business development role, if you're in any type of leadership role, 
And man, you know, and I'll even take it so far as if you're in a, any type of organizational role, if you don't have any competitiveness in you, yeah. boy, you may not be in the right environment. And so it's just a matter of competing. And, and Justin, you saw it, you lived it firsthand. It's a dollar bill. And in the big picture, you know, one dollar doesn't do a whole lot for anybody, but yet you watch people just kind of fight over the dollar bill. And I had the right answer. I beat you to the punch and all that sort of thing. And it, it's just meant to create dynamics. It's meant to create interactivity. It's meant to create some competitiveness. It's just meant to get people enrolled and, and involved. Yeah. And just pay for participation. Some guys walk out, you know, at the end of the day with $10 in their pocket and some guys walk out with $1 in their pocket. It's just all meant to have fun. And most often it's just spent on a few beers anyway. So <laughs> exactly. Well, one thing about salesmen and BD folks is we're, we're highly competitive. So, you know, always looking at numbers and who's selling what. So I, I just thought that was such a neat element to the program. Let's shift gears here a little bit and go down memory lane. I'm sure for the listeners out there, you may have heard and picked up on some accents and maybe the word process and things like that. Ray, you're obviously from Canada. For those who couldn't figure it out, well, I don't know what to tell you. So you got a, a couple Canadians here cussing and discussing behind the mic, but where are you actually from up in Canada, Ray? And, and you know, where'd you grow up? And, and we'll take her from there. Yeah, just. And I grew up east of your homestead, so I am originally from Saskatchewan, uh, a bit of a farm boy, although I lived in the city. My summers were always spent on the farm. Uh, it's a smaller community, 250,000 people. And you know what? You kind of grow up in those kind of communities, and you, you get pretty involved in the community. And, you know, my whole background had always been sports-related. You know, somewhere around, you know, the mid kind of 80s or 90s, everyone in Saskatchewan was always saying, go west, young man. So... I settled my roots in Calgary, and for people who haven't been up to Canada, Calgary's kind of mirror city would be Denver. It's kind of in the foothills of the Rockies. Oil and gas related is a big part of the economic wheelhouse in Alberta, and, you know, a very outdoorsy kind of city and very vibrant city, a newer type of city kind of sprung up. And, you know, if you're not actively involved in oil and gas, you're certainly partially involved in some way, shape or form, because it's what really drives the, the economy up here. And boy, I've been here. It's it's home. Make no mistake about it. And I, I love the city. I love the province. I love the I love the outdoors. And I love everything that it brings. Right. So you said you grew up in Saskatchewan. When did you move to Calgary? I always get a little bit mixed up on that, but I think uh, it was right after the Olympics that were held in Calgary. So okay. I was 88. I think I moved in Calgary in 89. I'm, yeah. often, I'm often cautious of dates because then that sort of ages me a wee bit. <laughs> no kidding. So you said you grew up, you know, a lot of it was, you know, farming and sports. So what, what kind of sports did you play growing up? Well, you know, if you're in Canada, you're playing hockey. That's a given. You're kind of on <laughs> years old and you know and I had a lot of fun playing hockey and got to some decent levels and then uh, I played football post-secondary football junior football not as junior high school but a junior program with Saskatoon Hilltops had a pretty good career won some national championships and and things like that so it was pretty good no kidding okay I didn't know you played for the Hilltops because obviously being from Vernon you know growing up everyone tries to play for the Okanagan Sun and I actually after high school for spring training, I practiced with the sun and, and, you know, verbally got brought on board, but it was either for me, it was either, well, I go play for the sun and, you know, I wasn't good enough to make it to the CFL, let alone anything in the States, but, you know, it was either, you know, go work on the rigs and make a bunch of money or go play for the Okanagan sun and probably injure myself. And if I didn't, you know, play for however many years and get out and try and figure out what I wanted to do. So I picked the path of going, you know, working oil and gas, but I have a love for football and, you know, it was kind of neat. I didn't know. I knew you played hockey, but I didn't know that you were a football player too. So 
And the, the Hilltop usually were pretty good. I remember watching the Okanagan Sun because they played, those were, you know, they were in the same league, were they not? Uh, no, uh, Okanagan Sun was in the BC Junior Football League and we were in the Prairie Junior Football League at that time. It's all been realigned now and it's all been different. Uh-huh. It's all the Canadian football, uh, Canadian Junior Football Conferences and okay. different alignments. But they usually, we'd usually meet them at some point in time in the playoffs when we started to go into provincial. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No kidding. Cool. So, you know, you moved to Calgary, obviously the big city of bright lights, plenty of opportunity. How did you end up getting into the training industry? Because I don't, you, when you moved into Calgary, I don't, I don't suspect, I don't, if I remember correctly, you didn't start off doing that, right? You were involved with some other things. What, what was that? Yeah, no, I had gotten, well, you know, it, it started from my back in Saskatoon, you know, I'm pretty active. I'm playing sports. I knew a lot of people and I got into the radio business and selling radio advertising. And it's not like I was a natural born salesman. I, I was never, never really had the gift of the gab. I was never, you know, really the, the center of attention. I wasn't quick with a joke or anything like that. It was mostly just through connections. And, and so I got involved in selling radio advertising, get that for you know, maybe a year or two, and then I had an opportunity to come to Calgary. And when I came to Calgary, I got involved in in the same category. And, you know, if you think you're having a rough day, you know, you got to look at selling radio advertising kind of this way. I sold a product you couldn't see, you couldn't feel, you couldn't touch. It was was 30 second commercials or 60 second commercials. They were expensive. I think even at that time in Calgary, depending what daytime you're in, day slot, it could cost you up to a hundred bucks for a 30 second ad. You couldn't buy just one of them because it, it, you know, that was just a waste of money. So you had to buy what was called frequency to try to create a, an awareness in people's minds. So you had to buy a bunch of them. And at the end of the day, I couldn't even guarantee it could work for you because it was advertising, right? And you know, it was all about messaging and things like that. And then we were on 100% commission. So, boy, if you didn't sell anything, you, you lost weight pretty quickly. So, <laughs> you know, I had a great run at it. And I don't know what it was other than just my stubbornness, my competitiveness, and my, you know, just my failing wasn't an option kind of mentality. And you talk about commission sales, and it sounds scary, but it, it really wasn't. The first year scary. But after, it's what you said, Justin, right off the top. After you build relationships, after you sell yourself, you can plan, you can forecast, you you know what people's, people are sharing a lot of confidential business information with you. So you can kind of plan and forecast. And the compensation part, the commission was just a result of, but everything else was pretty nice. Had a great run, won all kinds of awards for, for my sales performance. You know, even at one time, was recognized as the number one salesperson in Canada for selling radio advertising. And, and you get those kind of awards and people are tapping you on the back. Hey, come join me and come see us. And part of my long-term plan, I think, was getting into management and getting into leadership roles. I had that opportunity. Eventually, was a sales manager for not one, not two, I think four different radio stations in a cluster. And, you know, between you and I, I kind of thought that that's where I'm going to sort of hang my hat and and you get doing things and you know I, I don't want to call it complacency I don't want to call it getting lazy I don't want to call it any of those things but after a while yeah you sit back and go you know what's next where do you go from here and because of relationships I had a another mentor that kind of helped me along the way and said why don't you look at this and kind of showed me guide me and Again, I hate these dates, but, you know, 16 years ago, I said, you know what, I'm giving up this 
environment I have right now, my security blanket, I'm going to step out and do it on my own. And I've been doing it on my own for 16 years. And I got to tell you, Justin, I don't think I've ever been happier. I don't think I've ever felt more fulfilled. And, you know, there's that old saying, if you love what you do, it's never really a job. And I can go on record saying I've never felt like I've had a job, man. I just get up and get at it and make it happen. Yeah, no, that's huge. And you know, I think a lot of people, like you said, they get very comfortable and they're scared, you know, they're scared to take that leap of faith and, and go on your own. And, you know, we're seeing that a lot in oil and gas right now. A lot of folks that otherwise had worked at these large service companies, large oil and gas companies, things are tough. They're getting laid off. You know, COVID happens, their backs are against the wall. And they say, you know what, like you kind of reevaluate, and, you know, your sort of your perspective changes and you're then re-motivated to really do what you truly love. And so, you know, I think that's probably some silver lining that's happened over the last six to eight months. You know, people that, you know, I'm familiar with, they said, you know what, like, I'm tired of the grind, you know, instead of grinding for someone else, I'm going to grind for myself. And next thing you know, they're opening up, you know, snow cone paces, or they're starting their own little service company, or, you know, just doing something that they truly love and, and working towards, you know, the dreams and goals that they have. And so, you know, obviously you did that a number of years ago and, and here you are today. And every time I talk to you, you're in good spirits and you just, again, you say, I love what I do. And, you know, I, I think that everyone should really just, you know, have that as a goal. And, 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 you know, while it's not necessarily something that people can do right away, it's it's something I think you should strive for is, is just, you know, instead of chasing money, just chase happiness. And I think the byproduct will be income. And so again, it, it's neat to see, you know, like I said, you're, you're doing that. And in a time right now, we're typically, you're doing these in person and now you're doing them online. I think, you know, that kind of brings me to my next topic is, is just, you know, the only thing that's consistent in life is change. And obviously we've, you know, things have changed over the years. And so my question going into that is how is, has sales, you know, just in a very macro level changed over the years and how have businesses organization, firms, whatever, how have they adapted? And what are some people doing now that's kind of unique that makes you kind of scratch your head and say, you know what, like this is, this is changing now for hopefully the better. Well, Justin, there's a couple of things. There's certainly the one constant in life is change. Right now in selling, I'm not a fan that, that selling has changed. I believe the process of business development, the process of moving things forward is pretty consistent how it always has been. The vehicles to do that sometimes are different. So I'm a big believer, and you said it off the top, that you know, you gotta you gotta sell yourself. And I don't care if you're in the oil, I care, but whether you're in the oil and gas business, whether you're in the RV business, whether you're in the professional sports business, whatever it is, you gotta sell yourself first and foremost. And, and we're in the relationship business and we gotta build relationships. So the drag that we face right now, the hiccup we face, it's difficult to build relationships when you can't have human interaction. I gotta sit down with you, I gotta get a hit off you, I gotta see what you're all about, I gotta see if you're on side, I gotta read body language, I gotta get, I gotta get tone and inflection. The best way to do that certainly is is face to face. Well, our hands are tied right now, especially with COVID and all the things that are going on. Zoom, Skype, Teams, those type of delivery methods have been around, but they just, you know, have just exploded with COVID. Before that, it was if I couldn't meet you face to face, I had to try to interact with you, at least try to get you on the phone. Well, I, I don't have the luxury of body language then. All I have the luxury is tone and inflection of your of your voice. Trying to connect with you just 
electronically online is really difficult because I, you know, now it's just words. And, you know, if I capitalize my letters, I'm yelling at you and I can't, build, <laughs> I can't build a relationship with you. So, so the vehicles that we have right now certainly are coming in a real close second right behind that human interaction. I can see you right now. We've got our video component going. I can get a hit of your body language right now. I can tell if you're engaged and if you're not. So, so when we talk about, sales, it's still about building relationships. First and foremost, we're always in the people business. There, it's about a process. Where am I at any given time in the sales? Because in the sales wheelhouse, hope isn't a strategy. I need to know where am I with Justin? Does Justin know where I am with him right now? And do both of us know the next steps? Because if we know the next steps of where we're at, you know, you're going to have success in some way, shape, or form, whether success comes tomorrow afternoon or whether success comes, you know, two years from now. True story. I'm just booking a program with a customer that I've been reaching out to for over four years. Mm-hmm. Now I'm now I'm putting the, the final pieces together. So it depends. Are we in it for the quick slam dunk or are we in it for the long haul? And my approach has always been I'm in it for the long haul. But at the end of the day, Justin, it's still about people. It's still about building relationships. The vehicles we have right now have certainly minimized some of the the damage that we can do. And, and when I do programs, I'm adamant, your video has to be on. I got to see you. I got to make sure that you're involved. You can't be checking out in my programs. And I get it. Don't get me wrong when I say that. The world doesn't stop because Ray's here. I get it. There's, you know, and especially with people working from home and I giggle, it makes me laugh. You know, you know me well enough. I love kids. I love dogs. And there's always a kid or a dog <laughs> yeah. in the picture. And I just think that, that that's so, so cool because that's life and life goes on. And if I'm really in the people business and I'm teaching life skills, then how do you not have a dog in the picture, right? <laughs> yeah, that's true. It's, you know, it's, it's funny because <laughs> there's been a lot of people jumping in on, on zoom and whether it's kids, animals, you know, wives, husbands, whatever it is, it, it's changed a little bit. You know, like you said, the vehicle is different, but at the end of the day, it's, it's allowed us to continue to forge ahead, which kind of brings me to my next point. Aside from zoom, you know, all else equal, let's assume that, you know, COVID didn't happen, but leading up to that, how has you know, information technology impacted the way firms, you know, buy, sell, you know, just interact with the market in itself, because, you know, back in the day, you know, just for an example, my old man, you know, you know, rest in peace, he's no longer with us today, but he was a purebred entrepreneur. You know, he would read the auto trader, find cheap vehicles, and he would go knock on someone's door that he may have known, convince them to, you know, sell him the car at a, at a super low value. He'd flip it, you know, things like that. Like he just, and, you know, at a gas station, he would convince someone who had a vehicle to say, oh, it doesn't sound right. And, you know, you should sell it to me and, you know, I'll, I'll take that worry off your hands and then you can go and buy this type of vehicle. And, you know, funny enough, he'd end up walking away with the keys in his hand and he'd somehow figure out a way to, to make money off it. But, you know, nowadays, it's different. And I use that as an example, just, you know, I, I think you could happen, you could talk to someone, make a deal, even on a rig, you'd, you'd drive up to, you know, a rig site and, you know, if you shake a guy's hand, bring him a steak, Hey, you might get a pallet of material on location to give it a shot. Well, now it's, it's a lot different. And I think information technology certainly changed things. And so I was just curious if, if you had any thoughts on whether that's helped, whether it's inhibited and how firms have had to shift in the way, you know, they buy and sell. 
Well, you know, there's that's a multi-level kind of kind of question. Dan. A lot to unpack, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I've got a bunch of you know different directions that I that I want to take you on this one. First off, there's no question with information technology that you can't hide anymore. The reality is, Justin, I can pretty much get a whole scoop on you. I can get a whole scoop on what you're about, and I can get a whole scoop whether I like you or whether I don't like you before I even met you because, you know, Justin Goche is online and I, if I'm intuitive enough, smart enough, and just with a little bit of due diligence, I can get a pretty good hit on you. You're the number one thing you sell. So obviously you can't hide from anybody. I can get a pretty good hit on AES. I can go get a pretty good feel on the organization, who you guys are working with. I can get a pretty good read on the technology. And even if I don't understand the technology, I can still go online and get more information on the technology. So there's sometimes, Justin, I can come to you and I know just as much about the technology that you have as as you do. Sometimes if I've got some educational background, I might know even more with just doing my due diligence and my background. So because of that, consumers are way smarter than they have been. They've got everything at their fingertips. Yeah, that's got a great point. All, all the resources available to them. So it forces, not in a bad way, but it forces business development salespeople to up their game. I can't no longer just take you golf and have fun with you and buy you a few beers and be your partner in business. I've got to bring things to the table and in upping my game, I've got to be able to fill in the blanks of the information that people are coming to me with. So you've got to really be that much better. I believe, and and don't get me wrong when I say this, no offense, but the old school ways of selling that quick with a joke that, you know, I'll just buy you beers and and lunches all day long and I'm just going to farm your account, I think are over. Now we have to be a bit more hunting. Now we have to be a bit more proactive. Now we're bringing people information that's relevant and to the point. Nobody has time anymore. That's the other problem that organizations have faced. Everyone is downsized. And so because of that, people are tasked with way more activity than what they originally have. And they don't have time to invest all the yuck yuck, as I call it. They want to get to the point and they want to get to the, to the matter of fact. So consumers are way smarter than they ever have been with technology. From our end, we've developed a lot of different components into the sales process. Make no mistake about it, I believe sales is still face-to-face, but I have to be a resource to my customer. So what am I doing as a resource? Well, I've got to be able to share information socially. They call it social media. They don't call it mass media. It's social because socially we've got to share information and and share the, the gospel about what we're doing. And People don't want to be sold, but they don't mind buying. So because of that, you can't be selling me on social media. You've got to be sharing the gospel to be a resource where I sit back and I go, boy, you know what, that Justin, he sends a lot of good stuff. He's he's pretty knowledgeable guy. I should reach out to him. So you've got to use it to set yourself up. I, I spend a lot of time talking about the different vehicles on social media. How do they apply to us? Sure, LinkedIn is the most popular business vehicle, I guess, if that's what you want to call it from a social standpoint. But there's other ones that that can get you pretty good dividends and get you pretty good results as well. Okay, so I've got all these vehicles now, but at the end of the day, I still got to move things forward. Okay, so I've got to figure out, and this is part of what we 
we talk about now, how do I reach out to you using these social vehicles? I just said to you, it's social, it's not mass media, but now how do I take that and how do I apply it and how do I get through to Justin and how do I get Justin to go, you know what, Ray, your timing's pretty good. We should have a conversation. How long is this going to take? And, and so we've got to tie all those pieces together. So I liken this, Justin, to nothing more than in the big picture of business development sales, it's one more component of prospecting. Yeah. In the old days, prospecting was I'd, I'd track you down, I'd phone you, I'd stop by, I'd you know, try, to get, try to get you to meet with me or, or whatever. All it is is just one more vehicle in prospecting, one more vehicle in trying to get meetings with you. Okay. So can you elaborate on, on the term prospecting? Because I think that's a term that I don't want to say it's an old school term, but I think people have lost touch of the emphasis of proper prospecting. You know, it's, it's a term that I heard years ago, maybe, you know, obviously from the, from the course that I took with you guys, but how would you describe prospecting and why is that important? And, and maybe some of the you know mistakes that people, people do when prospecting. Yeah, and Justin, it goes back to what you said off the top. The one constant in life is change. And we know change is going to happen. Prospecting, to me, helps minimize the change that can impact you in a negative way. So how I define prospecting is I've got to go... I've got to go deep and wide within my organizations that I'm, that I'm working with. Here's why. I can have a great relationship with you. I can be real tight. I can own your account. But if I really believe in the philosophy of change, change will happen whether you like it or whether you don't like it. Here's what I know, Justin. At some point in time, you're going to move up, you're going to move down, or you're going to either move out on your own choice or someone else's choice. And if I don't isolate myself and protect myself, insulate myself and protect myself for that change that's going to happen, when you leave, I'm starting at ground zero. I got, I got nothing. Now I don't know who to talk to. I don't know why. And I've got to try to redevelop that relationship within that organization. Prospecting to me is going deeper and wider, getting all my tentacles, my fingers into everybody in your organization. So when the change happens, when you leave, at least... I could have a step forward to move and make it happen. It's the difference between what I call farming and hunting. And make no mistake about it, we got to be farmers. We got to protect our fields. We got to protect our crops. We got to make sure we're looking after it. I got to water you. I got to make sure that you get lots of sunlight from me and all that kind of stuff. But I've also got to be hunting. I've also got to be looking for new opportunities because here's what also happens. What I know, and I don't know a lot, I just know most organizations expect a lot from their people. They expect a lot from their salespeople. That expectation comes in the forms of budgets. For the most part, yeah, COVID has thrown a kick in that, but for the most part, year after year, budgets have a tendency to go up, not down. In order for you to hit budgets, only there's only a couple things you can do you got to get more money from the customers you're dealing with or you got to find new customers to get that money. And we're all going to have attrition, make no mistake about it. Customers we had last year, no matter how good we are, aren't going to be giving us the same amount of money or more money. There, sometimes other things happen. So the only way you can replace that money that you're going to lose from last year through attrition, the only way you're going to hit the budgets that are increasing next year 
is you've got to be a hunter. You've got to prospect. You've got to look for opportunities. You've got to go deeper and wider, and you've got to take advantage of, of every available opportunity. And, and another great word is you've got to look at getting your unfair share, not just your fair share, your unfair share of the, of the pie. Yeah, and that is such great advice. And hopefully the listeners are taking notes because I know I'll be probably listening to this again and refreshing my memory. But you know, it, one thing we have going on in oil and gas right now is is there's they call it the crew change, and it, it's been happening now for a while. Where the you know the older generation is either you know wiping their hands clean and saying I've had enough of this stuff, or unfortunately being forced to retire. But you know, so that that presents a lot of opportunity for these young eager salesmen coming in off the streets to you know come and and take over the game and pick up where you know, the other generation left off. And so what's your biggest word of advice or, or what do you see the biggest mistake coming in from young, eager salesmen, you know, coming in, just, you know, firing on all cylinders, but, you know, like you said, you got to play the long game, but do you have any thoughts on that? And do you see something that's you know, a common trend amongst young salesmen that they make that maybe could help them, you know, take some of that and hopefully learn from other people's mistakes instead of experiencing it for themselves? Well, there's, yeah. And I love what you said. They're young and they're eager. And first off, please don't let me slow that down. You have to have enthusiasm. You have to have passion. You have to have eagerness and you got to have a bounce in your step first and foremost, but don't let that bounce in your step and that passion override the end play. I said to you off the top, you know, Justin, I actually had people say to me early in my career, I, I can't believe you're, you're in sales. You don't even say anything. I was passionate. I was competitive. I was, you know, I had a bounce in my step. I had all that kind of stuff, but I wasn't the guy that was quick with a joke. I didn't have to control the room. I was way really, really good. It was just a skill I had at asking questions, and it was a skill I had. I was a really good listener. And when I asked questions that were relevant to the project, to the process, to the organization, to, the, to what we were trying to accomplish, and once they gave me the answers, boy, I was able to kind of fit in the pieces and come back with pretty good solutions that we could move forward. So I'll say to you, I probably wasn't a great closer, but I was an unbelievable opener. I was really good at opening the sale, moving it forward, and bringing back solutions where we're going, yeah, well, this makes absolute sense. The closing was just a result of everything I had done. So if I was to offer any advice, it's the same advice I, I tell everybody. Slow it down. Be a great questioner. Be a great listener. Don't lose passion. Don't lose enthusiasm. It's not meant to minimize that. It's just meant to get alignment with the people that you're talking to. Yeah, no, I, I think some of the best salesmen that I've come across, whether it's they've sold me or, you know, or I ended up wanting to buy something from them or just ones that I see in our industry that have, that have done extremely well is, is yeah, they, they may not have the silver tongue, but they are so good at asking the right questions and they listen and they figure out how to, you know, provide solutions and naturally the work just flows their way. And so that's one thing too, that I always encourage people is, you know, when you go into a meeting, don't go in there and just start babbling, <laughs> especially if it's a first or second time meeting a fella or, or a lady who's in a position to, you know, make some decisions, ask the right questions and, and allow the people that have the ability to, to purchase, do all the talking because nine out of 10 times, they'll tell you exactly what they want. And you just have to deliver instead of you telling them what they need. It's very important. Like you said, listening is a skill. I, I think a lot of people, they sometimes listen to want to respond instead of listening to understand the needs of 
you know, the situation or the problem or, you know, what they're, they're ultimately, you know, the objective is for the firm that they're approaching. And so I'm glad you brought that up. I think that's something that, you know, needs to be emphasized by sales managers is, you know, how do you ask the right questions? And when you want to jump in and say something, just let them talk and, and be patient, like you said. So that, that was huge. I think that's a huge nugget coming out of this. One thing too, that, you know, us as salesmen and, and anyone in BD is, is we're faced with probably more often than not is, is the big O word and that's objections. You know, it's, we hear no 99.9% of the time, but those yeses allow us to go celebrate and cheers, you know, with the rest of the sales team. And maybe there's one or two or probably a thousand, but what's the best advice for handling objections? Can you, I mean, summarize it in a few, you know, in, in a few comments or how would you describe that? Well, first off, you know, I think anyone who is taking on objections and feeling like they're getting a little bit punched out a wee bit, you've got to have a different mindset because I think objections are a good thing. And my rationale for why they're a good thing is people would not object if they weren't interested. Indifference is the worst place to be in sales. What do you think of the program, Justin? That's uh, all right. You know, can we look at moving forward? Yeah, I don't know. I'll have a look at it. Well, great. Can I touch back with you next week? Yeah, just leave it with me. That's hard. That, that's no matter who you are, that's hard to get your arms around. That's tough to handle. Indifference it can be the death of a salesperson. Yeah. If you can say to me, Ray, I like you, I like the program, but you know what? You got to get your price in line. I can now get my arms around that and I can start to, to move some things forward. I always, and I use that objection intentionally, Justin, because this should put a smile on everyone's face. It doesn't matter if you're in the oil business. It doesn't matter if you're in the sports business. It doesn't matter if you're in the RV business. It doesn't matter if you're in the environmental business. The number one objection everyone deals with universally is your price is too expensive. And it is a throwaway, in my mind, a throwaway comment that everyone says because most people in sales immediately respond with the magic answer, where do I have to be? <laughs> and when you now give your customers that carte blanche of allowing them to tell you the price of your product, I, now you're on your heels. Because if they do it once, they're going to do it again. And they do it again, they're going to do it again. I struggle with your price is too expensive. To me, that's, it's very hard to get your arms around because price is a very subjective statement. What's expensive to you may not be expensive to me or vice versa or vice versa or vice versa. So you got to yeah. do some, you got to do some quantifying a wee bit too expensive by X percent too expensive by X dollars. You know, are, are you talking, you, you know, what are you talking about when you talk about being too expensive. And I'm a big fan. It goes back to what you said earlier, asking questions and, and, and listening. If you said to me, Ray, your price is too expensive, my response to you would be it's a style of question that, you know, that, that we teach and that we talk about. It's a reflective question. I, I would just say to you, Justin, how do you mean? How do you mean exactly? You got to fill me in a wee bit more. I'm not going to, I call it, don't be leading with your chin. You know, where do I have to be? What do I have how do you mean? And I got to get you to open up. I get it. There's customers out there through protocols, through, you know, mandates. They're not going to allow you 
share with you confidential information of their pricing structures or strategies and stuff like that of quotes that they're getting. I, I get all that kind of stuff, but you got to get people to interact and you got to get people to kind of get you more information. The most often, if I come back to your question, what about that big O word? Most often, it's just information that they need is why they're asking for these objections. So before I can share with you the information to resolve the objection, I better make sure you and I are on the same page. And that's why most often I'll respond to your objection with what I call those reflective questions. You know, Ray, we, I've had a bad experience working with you before. I don't think we're going to go with you on this one. Justin, fill me in, please, if you could. Instead of me jumping in, give me some more because I want to make sure that I'm totally in tune. I want to make sure that I'm totally aligned with you. The funny thing, Justin, and it's not funny as in haha, it's when you look at the big picture and you really understand it, for the most part, there's probably only six, seven objections that customers have universally. They spin it a different way, they word it a different way. They approach it a different way. It's unique to them, but from our end in sales, when I take you through a, a process to handle it, all of it nets into about six or seven things. And you can start to get your arms around that as opposed to a, there's a thousand objections they can throw at me. That's tough, no matter who you are. How do I respond to that? But if there's only six, seven things, I can start to now formulate responses. I can start to now work a bit of a template to to move it forward and make it happen. Objections are a good thing. They're not as scary as some people think. Most often, it's just a lack of information. Most often, it's something from a sales standpoint, a lack of experience. And most often, it's not just kind of embracing that customers have legit questions, they have legit concerns, and how do we pack, how do we address them and move it forward? So I like objections. I don't have a problem with them. Yeah, no, and that was actually one of the, the one of the huge takeaways from the course that I took was we almost did it was like it reminded me of like speed dating. You, you know, you we'd sit and we'd there would be a table and we'd kind of bounce and you say, okay, you have thirty seconds and here's your objection and you'd have to think on the fly and and most people would kind of they stumble and then they ah, da, da, da. but you know going through that repetition and then kind of having the blueprint you know, to leave with certainly was helpful. And I have a folder on my desktop that, you know, again, a lot, a lot of the stuff that I referenced back from the course, but it is really, I think a lot of people will get an email response. And if you're lucky to get an email response, to, they'll just say, oh, you know, thanks. And, and away you go, but, you know, continuing to ask questions. And, and one of the ones that I always loved that that was taught was, you know, someone would say, oh no, you know, we're happy with, you know, our current provider and say, oh, you know what? A lot of my current customers actually said the same thing. And then, you know, sometimes you don't get a response or sometimes you do. And, and again, you just, you find a way to keep them talking and, and the objections, it's, it's an artwork to, to kind of get around. And, and again, it's, you know, it's part of the huge value that's offered from the course that we took, but again, objections are Again, there's tons of books written out there, but I think the more you 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 get them and the more you can articulate around them. And a lot of times it's, you know, depending on who you're dealing with, you know, again, there's different styles of people. Some will, you know, you can negotiate back and forth with and some will just slam the door, but you just got to, again, roll with the punches and, and sometimes it's just trial and error. See what works with some people, some things it works and it doesn't. But I took after, you know, doing that stuff with you guys, I took objections and and I really just made it into an own personal game for myself to, okay, how can I ask one more question or how, how can I get one more response to keep the ball rolling? 
And yeah, it's helped in some cases, in some cases it doesn't, but either way, I think it's, it's something that people should really lean into when they do get an objection and, and see how you can move around it. There is opportunity. Like you said, you, you know, good salesmen like objections because it creates more opportunity. I feel like, so, you know, I wish Justin, I had pixie dust and I wish I had silver bullets and I wish there was magic answers I could give you. If they say this, you say this, it works a hundred percent of the time. And yeah. You know, you and I both know that would be a right now that would just is just nothing more than a fantasy because there is no such thing. Nothing we ever do will replace preparedness and readiness. That includes objections, that includes interacting with customers, that includes, you know, the transaction, moving it forward down the line all the way through to gaining agreement. But I love what you said as well. And, you know, that's great that those takeaways are still with you. You know, when you said a lot of my customers say the same thing, that's just empathy and experience. And it's just putting yourself in customers' shoes sometimes. They're getting beat up a ton from from up above. They're getting beat up a ton from their colleagues. They're getting beat up a ton, you know, in in the amount of pressure that they're tasked with and the amount of duties that they're tasked with now that, you know, that just weren't there three, four, five years ago. And when you have that kind of pressure and you're punchy and you want to move things forward, sometimes it's refreshing just to go, hey, Justin, I hear you loud and clear, man. I'm not fighting with you, Justin. I'm not arguing with you. I hear you. I get what you're going through. And people, when you say those kind of comments, people, it takes a little bit of the the wind out of their sails and they just kind of go, thank you. Someone can kind of hear it from my side a wee bit. And, and when you say things like, I got customers that are, you know, have said the same thing to me as we've gone through it. It just shares with them that this isn't your first rodeo. It shares with them that you've been around the block. It shares with them that you're, you're intuitive to what's taking place. And, and, and it comes right back to alignment. It comes back to the relationship. It comes back to Justin, you're my kind of guy. You know, I can see me working with you. That's mm-hmm. really what I'm down to. Yeah, no, that's so true. So one last question I have related to the topics that we're on, you know, a lot of folks, and it's fair to say that some people are just born with the gift of gab. I know you said you, you kind of came out and you had to work hard and, and there were some, some skills and attributes about yourself that made you successful. But so I guess the question is, you know, are, are salesmen, are good salesmen born with the gift or can you work towards being a great salesman? Cause I think it's kind of similar to you know, there's a lot of entrepreneurs out there. People love the, the buzzword. Oh, I want to be an entrepreneur. And I want to have a good schedule and work for myself and, and blah, blah, blah. But you know, the fact of the matter is, is there's some people are just meant to be an entrepreneur and some people are meant to work the nine to five and, and the structure and, and things like that. But so again, yeah, the question is simply is, is are salesmen born salesmen or can you work yourself into being a good salesman? Cause I think a lot of people want to be a salesman, but they're maybe not sure if they have what it takes. Well, you see, <laughs> I see a multiple answers again. So I want to share this with you because I just had this conversation with a customer last week. You, okay. you talked about salespeople and you talked about entrepreneurs. And yes, COVID, the environment, the price of oil and gas has moved people into being an, an entrepreneur. But, you know, to have the mindset, I'm going to be an entrepreneur and if I build it, they will come, I think is very misleading. I think. If I'm going to be an entrepreneur, and it doesn't matter if I'm going to move into the oil and gas segment, it doesn't matter if I'm going to buy a icy franchise, it doesn't matter. The mindset has to be, if I build it and I sell it, then they'll come. So you got to have salesmanship. Are salespeople born? No. I was always a big believer 
You have to have the right attitude. You can learn the sales process. However, it's certainly easier if you're a bit more of a people person. If you don't have a problem interacting, that makes your life easier. But I can certainly take some reserved people. I can take some introverted people. And I can, I can get them going because the reason I can get them going is if you look at sales as just shucking and jiving, quick with a joke and witty, it's intimidating. But if you look at sales as a process mm-hmm. and you have steps and a foundation, I can take process-driven people and go, okay, if I package sales now into a process, to them, it now becomes step-by-step step and they can accomplish it. Make no mistake about it, Justin. If, if I'm good with people and, you know, and I can interact and, I can, you know, and you and I can giggle a bit, that makes life a lot easier. But I can still do it with other people. But nothing, nothing, nothing will replace attitude. I can, if I have attitude, if I have people that have a, a great attitude and that failing is not an option attitude, I can make them salespeople, make no mistake about it. If I've got someone with a chip on their shoulder, if I've got someone who's always a bit of a Debbie Downer, if I've got someone who is always in the Eeyore kind of mindset and you know this, it's always snowing and cold outside, it doesn't matter how dynamic they can be, chances are there's going to be some turmoil, chances are there's going to be some topsy-turvy, and chances are if I got a, the rest of the team, they're going to bring the rest of the team down as well. It doesn't matter you know, how good they are immediately because I think the long-term play for those people most often is pretty transient. Uh, you, you see them as you know, bouncing from job to job, moving around, that, that kind of thing. But man, to me, it's really about relationships. And when you tie in a relationship with a process, you're home free. Yeah, that's so true. And, and again, I think it's having the right, I think, like you say, if you can marry the two, that's where I've seen the most success. And I consider myself, you know, relatively personable and I can get along in, in most situations with almost anybody. And a lot of times I can get, you know, get to the finish line just by that. But, you know, after gaining the skill set that I've had over the years and experience and really just kind of go back to the fundamentals of the process that it takes to get from, you know, running the bases, which we don't have to get into that. But so again, something that I took away from the course, but, you know, you you go through the process, you apply what you've learned, some of your, you know, some of your strengths, whether it's personality, whether, you know, charisma, sometimes for, you know, for a lot, you know, sometimes people's good looks get them to where they need to be. You never know, but you package it all together and, and nine out of 10 times, you'll reach the finish line with success. And so again, just, just a reminder to, to trust the process. And I think that's, that's something that a lot of people, you know, when things are down, they sort of forget, they forget about that. But I think it's anything in life. If you trust the process and you be patient and you just continue to work towards it, you know, things, good things will happen. And, but again, I think the biggest challenge, especially nowadays is just the level of impatience that people have sometimes can, can be a challenge. So, you know, patience and trusting the process is is for me, one of the, one of the things that I always look back to and things aren't necessarily going the way I wanted to. So I'm glad you brought that part up. So, but we're coming close to the hour here. I want to respect your time. And there's, there's a couple personal questions I like to usually close out with and, and I, I kind of hand pick them. So Ray for you, and I could guess probably what the answer is, but I want to hear it from you, but you know, what do you like most about your job and why is it, is it so gratifying for you 
And why does it never feel like work? Well, you know what, Justin, that's not as pat an answer as you think. And, you know, and, and I love what I do, but make, make no mistake about it. I have bad days too. And, you know, and uh, we have rejection sometimes and things don't go according to plan. The biggest takeaway for me is I just love being involved in a bunch of different categories. I love learning. I don't like sitting idle. So I'm one of those guys that if it's the same thing over and over and over, I get kind of... Uh, what's next? And that's what I love is because I can go from drilling companies to bit companies to artificial lift companies to fracking companies to chemical companies. I can do that. And tomorrow afternoon, I can shift and I can work with the the Calgary Flames, the Edmonton Eskimos. I can work on the sports side. Mm -hmm. I can shift and I can go and work with Porsche Canada you know, the next day. And so because of that, I really dig the learning that comes my way. I love the people that I meet for the most part. I can go on record and say most often when people come into a program, there's a real willingness to get involved and a real willingness to learn. And when you have that, when those pieces are in play, it makes it fun. It's a tough day at the office where everyone's sitting back with their arms closed going, I I don't need this. I kind of got this down already. And what's he going to share with me. And I can tell you, I go on record, I probably in 16 years, I couldn't even fill up one hand of people that I've ever met like that. People want to learn, people want to get involved, people want to get better. And you know, in some way, shape or form, I can help that. It's just a big pat on the back. And, you know, it goes back to what I said to you off the, off the top. It wasn't, I didn't say that. It was people like yourself said it to me. Ray, I thought I was coming in to learn a sales program and what you really taught me was life skills. And sometimes when I sit back and I hear that kind of thing, I go, holy smokes, maybe I'm, maybe, maybe this is a little bigger than what I thought. And yeah. Kind of the cool thing. No, that, that's awesome, man. What's something about yourself that not many people know about? You know, you seem like a pretty open book, but you got any good hidden secrets or any unique hobbies that you'd like to unleash to the podcast world? <laughs> <laughs> well, Justin, now, now I'm getting close to your heart as well, because you know I love being out in BC. My summers, I love being on the water. I love I love boating. I love that whole scene between you and I. If I have any type of skeletons in my closet, these Canadian winters are starting to get to me a bit. Uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> I hadn't said that that often, but it just seems the last few years. And you know, part of uh, you know, I have a pretty athletic background, and so in, as you know, I think you and I have talked about it before. The mountain skiing has always been a big part of my life, and I used to crank out a lot of days in the winter. You know, if I had to trade the winters for skiing in the mountains or surfing on a lake behind a boat i would take surfing on a lake behind a boat so yeah uh, (laughs) there you go you know what with the borders the way they are i don't think i'm going to be surfing on behind a boat real quick so uh, (laughs) take the speed in the mountains yeah yeah you'll have to move closer to the equator to get that more often but i hear you man it's definitely nice being in the south but you know part of me misses you know the canadian winters really only about four or five days of the year to be honest but that's good you know, fortunately for you, hopefully once things open up and you'll be able to cross the border and come down here and enjoy some warmer weather, or at least, you know, down closer to the equator in Mexico or something like that to get away. But either way, you know, it's been an absolute pleasure. Before we close out for the audience, I'd like to take a moment to tell everyone about our upcoming events. Hey, everybody. It's Savannah from OGGN. And here are the events on deck for February 2021. This month, we only have three events, but if you'd like the full list, you can click the link in the show notes to sign up for our events newsletter. 
We send it out every month, and it includes more info about the events I talk about here. We even include events that occur two months ahead of time, so if you're interested in always staying in the loop about oil and gas events, make sure to check that out. First up, we have our two in-person events, the TAMU SBE Sporting Clays Tournament at Tonkaway Ranch in College Station on the 19th, and the Thrive Energy Conference at Minute Maid Park from the 24th to the 26th. The only online event we have this month is the TAMU SPE Executive Series with our very own Mark LaCour of Oil & Gas This Week on the 26th. Other than these events, OGGN may be hosting some more live streams this month, so make sure to check out our Facebook, LinkedIn, or our website for more information about any of the live streams we have coming up. If you have any questions about the events or any of our shows, make sure to reach out to me through my email in the show notes. That's all for February. I hope you guys have a great month and thanks for tuning in. Excellent. Thank you. And anyone out there in the Houston area interested in playing oil field hockey, come join the Hack and Whack crew for some old timer hockey. We do it every two weeks at Memorial City Mall Ice Rink. Hit me up on LinkedIn for more details. Razor Ray, thank you so much for joining me today. This has been an absolute pleasure. I'm so glad I got you on. There's been so much key takeaways from this. Hopefully the listeners felt that as well. If you would give a brief description of, of Razor training, what you guys offer how people can reach out if they're interested and, and yeah, just give you the opportunity to plug what you're doing. Oh, uh, Justin, thank you. Well, first off, feel free to reach out to Razor Training at LinkedIn, Ray Bede, R-A-Y-B-E-D-I-E-R. Hit me up on LinkedIn. We're at www.razortraining.com out of Calgary. You know, I call it soft skill training. And, and for the most part, it's all about sales, sales performance, business, business development performance. And there's a difference because I actually do quite a bit of work on the operational side of the business where, you know, salespeople traditionally tag the operations side and go, you're it. And operations have a chance to build great relationships with customers. Operations has a chance to, you know, get referrals. Operations has a chance to, you know, to get repeat business. And sometimes they just don't know. It's not their fault. So I do a lot of work, you know, on the operations side from business development standpoint, sales standpoint, high performance selling, new business development, we'll go out and measure and track revenue as a result of the program, leadership coaching, customer service programs, negotiation programs, presentation programs, all the soft skill programs, Justin, that, you know, I think sometimes people think through osmosis, they'll get it. And it's not a great foundation. I'm a big fan of yeah, you need a process. What am I doing? Why am I doing it? Can I repeat it if it's successful? Can I minimize doing it if it goes sideways on me? And most importantly, you know, what's the end play? What's the result? What am I trying to accomplish? So it's all about that. Wow. So yeah, you obviously have a lot to offer. And if anyone's out there, even just interested or wants to ask questions, I encourage you to reach out to Ray. He's just such a great guy. Regardless, you need to get to know him. So for everyone out there, certainly appreciate all the support. Ray, I wish you nothing but the best. I'm sure we'll be keeping in touch. And always remember when the density's up and the gas is down, open the choke. Let's go to town. Thanks, everybody. Thanks again for listening. Tune in next week for another episode of Oil & Gas Onshore, a production of Oil & Gas Global Network. For more information, visit OGGN.com.